Welcome to the Fly Culture Podcast, bringing you interviews, reviews, and fishing tips. Here's your host, Pete Tigus. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Fly Culture Podcast. I'm lucky to know a number of contemporary fly fishing authors like Ben Jaylor, Chad Van Zanten, and Russ Beck. Like them, my guest today approaches our pastime from beyond the traditional safe parameters and looks to stretch both himself and his reader's view of fishing through a slightly different lens. He has just released his third book, Anarchy Pie, that I've been lucky enough to read and, of course, thoroughly enjoy. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome back James Gilbraith to the podcast. Boo, it is awesome to have you back on the podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm great, thanks, Pete. How are you? I'm very good. I'd love the rivers to drop so I can go and do some fishing, but apart from that, I'm in fine form. How's the season been for you? Uh, well, we've had loads of water up here, so that's always a good start. March, the river were up and down and up and down, but I've had uh, I've had four days on what I'd consider to be near near perfect water. Um, all over the Ribble, I fished on Clitheroe on Friday and I fished, dropped down and fished a lower beat called Lawmore on Saturday. And then yesterday I went down the river to a, a beat known as Oswald Best and All, uh, where we have a little bench with a plaque on it that says ringing sick. And that pool has been very, very good to us over the years. So I figured with the water dropping off, uh, I'd have a chance of a springer, but for the entire catchment, as far as I'm aware, there's no fresh fish being caught this season yet. But I'm confident that one will come off somewhere this week with all the rain we've had. Because uh, it drops in stages, the lower end of the river will come into play now. But as far as distribution, the, the levels we've had, the fish can come in and come all the way up to well past Clitheroe. Uh, so there should be fish all, not all over, because there's not that many, but there should be fish fairly evenly distributed throughout the river. So if you know the lies, it's a case of going and checking your favourite lies and just seeing if you're lucky. Um, we've all got theories <laughs> as, as to where those lies are, but it's a bit of potluck. But um, if you're like me, I try and fish every lift. So... It's been really nice just getting out and springs are the best time of year, isn't it? So we've just been on the getting out on the river and seeing everything, getting casting away your cobwebs and having the chance of a fish is perfect. Yeah, I like the sound of that. And it's interesting what you said about not many fish about. And for me, can you put it in context? And the reason I asked that is that I saw a report through from my home river, the Tor, and the total salmon caught for last year, and it was a difficult year, um, was 53. What does that look like comparable to the rivers you fish? Uh, the River Ribble, I mean, we had a dreadful year, um, but amazingly, there were more fish caught last season than the season before. We had a total of 480 salmon caught, eight taken out of that uh, and I think there was something like um, so pretty high catch and release figures um, so yeah but 
we were really lucky that we got a real good dollop of rain end of September, just the last week in September. So October fished uh, really well. Uh, and that being one of my mate had eight in a week or back end fish. Um, so that brought, but before that it were dire, it were desperate, absolutely desperate. Um, and I think I didn't go fishing from June till that first weekend in October. And I, and that has, I've never done that ever at that one. I, 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 I was bereft. I felt bereft because I couldn't go. The rivers were, you were doing more harm than good if you went fishing for anything because they were that low and that gunked up with weed and everything else. They've got enough problems. So I didn't do any fishing because they were just on the bones of their arse, the rivers. So, uh, but as an angler, I, I felt bereft. I didn't know what to do with myself at all. So when October we got some rain, it was like a little minor miracle, you know, that we could get out and try and catch one, you know. Um, so yeah, but 480 were the, our figure last year. So you, you I mean, you really are needling an A stack, aren't you? With 50. Oh, it really is. You know, sometimes you're thinking, and funnily enough, I was thinking about we close in September, end of September, but I was thinking about what you said about the rain back end and we had it in September and Emma and I fished pretty hard for nothing. And you're sitting there thinking, this looks right. And then that's where you go through this thing, don't you, that you question everything you're doing and why you're doing it, and you're thinking, well, have I got this wrong? Have I got it right? Should I be doing this? Should I do Because you've just got nothing to go at. And this year, I've, I'm sure I say this every year, that I'm thinking, right, well, I don't care. I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is. If someone comes along and we get lucky, well, that's great. And if they don't, they don't. And I've just got to keep the faith. I think that's the the important thing with these things, isn't it? Particularly given the background that we face and having seen the timings interesting. I don't know if you saw the Attenborough program last night where they had that wonderful, wonderful shot of um, salmon as well um, running the rivers. I'm going to listen to it tonight, but uh, I'm going to, I've not watched it yet. I'm going to watch it tonight, that episode. But no, it, it's important. You wait that long for perfect water, don't you? And then you end up in a kind of self-sabotage where you're going, well, we've got perfect water, so it must be the fly. It's not the fly. It must be my tip. I'm too deep. It's going too fast. The sink rate's too quick. I need to put a longer tip on, a shorter tip. I need to shorten the milliliter. I need to put a tube on. No, I don't need to put a tube on. I'll put a cone on. No, not a cone. I need a small fly. Fred says small flies work. I'll try that. Da-da. Scruffy, it's too tidy. I've started taking an hatchet to some of my flies and making them look like they've just been washed up on a desert island beach. And then you're thinking, I've spent more time fanning about, fucking around, changing tips than actually just fishing. I bet the fish have swum past me by the time I'm cocking about with all this. So I have to stop myself from meddling with everything all the time because you can just it, it can become endless you know it, you know the, the, someone says you know a man who stands stationary in one spot 
catches as many as the guy who does four miles up and down river, you know, but I'm the guy doing four miles up and down river because I think it makes a difference. And because I've got ants in my pants, I've got to do it. But I really have to stop with the self-sabotage. You know, at the end of the day, I've probably caught all my salmon on four patterns. So, and yet I go for anything that I've never caught on because I want to see if it'll catch a fish. Like mental. No one else. You don't see golfers, you know, trying to play golf with a fucking snooker cue. Or, you know, you know, they use the equipment, you know, and that, that's what we do all the time. Oh, let's see if this works. Let's, let's, I know this will work, you know, and, and it's got, and it only needs a sliver of evidence that it's been successful somewhere else. It's not based on fact. It's based on a myth, you know, someone called Terry has told someone called Tony that he, he had five on it once on the D. What he hasn't told you is that it was in 1978 and he put 400 days fishing in. <laughs> you forgot that. You just think it's a, it's a killer. I'm going to get it on. You know, so, yeah, we, we, we are our own worst enemies sometimes. <laughs> I've just got a confession to make, actually, because I was sitting saying, well, I'm going to look at it differently. And I saw you talked about the tips and I saw that there was a new six inches per second tip came out. I decided to buy some just in case that I need them. Now I've got five inches. I've yeah, got three inches. Yeah. I've, so I've got some just yeah. in case. <laughs> so I've got every yeah, base yeah. covered now. So I reckon I'm in really, really good shape for that. And one of my next questions were going to be an ants in the pants. I think probably answers that question, but I was going to ask you about, you know, with, all the rain that we've had and March being one of the wettest on record. Are you patient? And you talked about being bereft when back end uh, last year, you couldn't fish. So I, I guess I know the answer to that is, has that been, or is it easier when it's start of season that you're missing a few days and the river's knackered, but you don't mind quite as much because you know, there's still plenty left to go. Yeah. The thing about, I, I'm not missing another day because we might end up with a summer you know, we're, we get another heat wave. And so every lift, I'm going to fish. And I'm going to fish somewhere. And I'm a, I'm a member of enough clubs where I've got access, where pretty much whatever out of the river, there's always a couple of pools I can call in on that. And if it's after work, that's fine. If it's before work, that's fine. If I've made enough money that day, i.e. sold something, I don't try and sell something else. I'll go fishing. And that, so, because I know that if the hot weather comes, uh, that's me grounded for an entire, for one, two, three, maybe four months. So I'm making hay, definitely. That's uh, uh, because I if, if it rolls around like last year, I don't want to have three or four months where I can't fish anywhere, you know, and I'll even go on still waters, trout fishing. I'm not doing what I did last year and just sitting out. Um, but I thought last year was an exception. And um, even now when it's in flood, we're looking further up the river to see, you know, which one's going to drop right first and we'll go up there. And, you know, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to miss another day um, just in case, you know, things get worse. Um you know, uh, weather-wise, you know, because 
it's getting more extreme all the time, isn't it? You know, we, we, you, so you never know. You can't take it for granted that we're going to have a normal set of seasons. You know, uh, they're always a bit exaggerated in some way, aren't they, these days? They seem to be anyway. Yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And like you say, making hay when you can is the way to go about doing it. We're going to come on to the book shortly, but um, I know you talked about the the fishing clubs and everything else that your members are locally, but in the book, I know you talk, and it's a hysterical piece about the spay. Are you planning to travel a little bit more widely this year, or are you concentrating efforts on home waters? Uh, Well, not to be uh, gloomy, but the COVID properly killed my business and it uh, of buying and selling antiques. Uh, a few of the local auction houses that I made a living out of, uh, one in particular in Clitheroe, shut down forever. So that really was a kick in the bollocks, really. Uh, so I'm kind of so now I'm doing more removals and house clearances, uh, but it's really really quiet. So. Uh, you know, it's um, it's not been easy. So as a result of that, I've had to cut back a little bit on me. So I've, I'm not going on the, to the, the, the trip to the spay. Uh, I've sold that place to someone else, another angler. Um, uh, but me and a couple of my, my friends, we, we plan to fish the Eden on the fly in June and have a couple of nights up there because you can get a day ticket for 30 quid a day. and um, I think we're trying to find somewhere in May. Um, I'd like to, without traveling too far from home uh, and staying away, be able to go and fish the, say, I've, I've never fished a tweed. So I'd love to have a go on the tweed. Uh, if there's a, like an economy beat to go and fish at an economy time of year. So we're, we're looking to see if there's any beats uh, around the tweed that we can fish. But uh, just where our life is, I can't go away for a week. It's too much of a piss tech on Anne-Marie. You know, she works full time. Her kids are both at school. We've got a dog. We've got an home to keep. So that's why I like prefer to fish locally after work and before work and at weekend because I can be on the river in 10 minutes flat here. So I, part of the, the, the book is about making your own small world. Well, I've made that. And now I've got to inhabit that world. But I love that world. So that's where we're at, you know, at the moment. And I'm really, really lucky to be able to do that, you know, current climate, you know. So I'm that. So no, I, I, I stay tuned as to what's going in on the spay. And my mates are, you know, they've already been to fish the Tweed once this year. And they're all up on the spay in April. So I hope, I, I hope you know, I'd... Love to be able to go, but uh, sometimes you just got to put the family first, haven't you? And uh, I'm lucky enough that I've got a brilliant river. Well, I've got a river on my doorstep that I love fishing. And at this time of year, if you're going to come into contact with a fish, you know it's going to be an absolute belter. So I'll just carry on doing that and loving it, really. Nice. I, I know exactly how you feel as well with your home river and what it means to you. And I rarely get away from that as well because I feel likewise and I can dip in and out of it as needed as well. And I wanted to talk as well 
Um, we're inching ever nearer to the book. Um, but your artwork as well, and that's why I say that, because I recognise, obviously, your artwork on the cover of it. But, you know, I'm a fan of it. And that's something. And I would urge listeners to have a look at Boo's artwork as well, because I love it. And it's quite abstract, as you'd expect from Boo as well. But um, really, really interesting. And is that a fun process for you, to express yourself in a different way? Oh, Pete, I love it. I absolutely love it. And it were all, it were all like a happy accident, really. You know, uh, I've I, I I got to that many auctions and see that many different types of artwork that uh, you, I thought, well, I'll, I'll buy some myself. So I were buying loads of paintings and just painting over them, you know, already stretched and already in frames. I'd take them out of the frame and paint them in the back of my shop and then hang them on the walls in my shop. And before long, people started taking notice of my work and I sold my work more than anyone else's. So I just carried on going. And now I've got a big, well, I've got a, a modest unit in Clitheroe that has a, a space where I can paint, but I love the process because it's usually inspired by an incident or places I've been uh, I'm always, always thinking about the writing. I know that sounds weird while I'm painting, but I've got a big ghetto blaster rigged up to my iPod. I get music on, and I love the physical activity of painting um, and not knowing what the end of it's going to be like until you get to the end. You, you start, and you don't know what the finished piece is going to be until you stand back and you go, right, that's it. And there's so many artists who I admire. Um, I I always pinch. I'm like a magpie. I'll pinch bits, aspects of ideas from you know all sorts of areas, and uh, and then hopefully create something that I can sell as well. So it's not been like a wasted day uh, messing about, you know. So um, uh, I've really, I really, really enjoy it. Um, and I've not done it. I've I kind of, I live in a cycle. So I'm fishing, I'm working. And then when I'm not writing, I paint. So now I've done the book. I don't want to write anything else for a bit. So now I'll start. I've just ordered some canvases. So now I'm going to do a series of paintings uh, that I've been thinking about all last year while I was fishing. So there's a kind of holistic you know, export experience with it all as well, you know. Um, so, but no, I love it. I love And I love the art market. I'm always watching YouTube. I watch more YouTube videos about art theft and robbing museums and uh, counterfeiting and forgery than anything on fishing. I'm, I, I mean, I'm sick with it. I know, the, I know how they got in every museum, <laughs> at, at every art in every art theft going, you know, and I'm just fascinated that how, how much bullshit the art market is, you know, that something can have a value of 200 million, 300 million, and someone has just give thought, thought of a number, you know, someone can sell a banana duct tape to the wall for 30,000 quid or an invisible sculpture, and it's so pretentious and up its own arse, I wanted to see if I could so I've been offered a few gallery uh, exhibitions and I've turned them down because I don't want to be in that world. 
where we're all drinking Prosecco and going, oh, this is what this means. And, and some gallery guy going, oh, we're going to double the price on this and we're going to do just invented it. So I, I paid my stuff and put them on my website and on eBay. That's where I put my art on eBay. And I let the market decide. And I look at it like this. I just want to get a week's wage out of a big painting. And if someone else owns it forever and it can become an heirloom, that's perfect for me. I don't want anything else, but I don't want any exhibitions. Um, I rang up for a laugh. I rang up Freeze art fair in london to see if i could go and exhibit down there not knowing that it's like 20 grand for a stall <laughs> so, so, so uh, but you know it's all smoke and mirrors it's all a blag it's all subjective every critic is a cretin and every artist is driven by ego let's face it you know so I like to keep it as honest as I can. And what you, if someone buys a painting off me, it's honest, you know, and, it, and I, I have thought about the process that goes into it, you know, but that's it. But it's just another game that you can't play. You know, you've got to have the permission off a gatekeeper. And I'm not, I've never asked permission. And I'm not, I've not asked permission to write. I've not asked permission to paint. I didn't ask permission to open a shop or whatever. I've not, you know, I've never tried to be in the establishment, whether it be fishing or the, you know, I've never asked. I've, I've, I do my thing. And if somebody likes it, brilliant. That's good because it's my world that I live in, you know, and I've created that for myself, you know. So, yeah, I, 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 I love the painting, but I love the game more than the painting, you know. And if I can write a big flowery paragraph about, the hidden meaning of a painting, even better, you know, even better. So, yeah, I love it. But it's just a game. It's just a bit of sizzle, in it? You know, we like what we like. And none of us can afford to own, own a Jackson Pollock. We, we're out the market. They're, they're, million, they're, for, they're for hedge funds and billionaires. So I paint stuff that people can actually afford and put in their house, you know but has come from the same place those great works of art came from. A struggling guy before somebody decided to make him famous because they had the rights to his work. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And, you know, my uh, the piece that you did for me, I look at every day. It's, on, it's in our uh, kitchen and I see it every day and it makes me smile. And you're dead right about how these things work old boys club and you know my hope is that those things eventually fall by the wayside and I doubt that they will because there's too much money involved and I was thinking about those art theft things and I know BBC had a series on that was really good about how people nicked artwork and some of them just literally walked in lifted it off the wall and walked out with it um, and the tr tracking down of it but also the forgery thing as well that these guys and that to me says what a closed circle it is and that, you know, many of those forgers were extremely talented artists in their own right, but weren't accepted into this club or whatever it may be, and so had to go down a different route, didn't they? And it does show how it seems a, a club that only lets certain people in. Well, it's whoever, makes the, whoever decides to make the trends, who, you know, who's crucial, who, you know, all these buzzwords 
Uh, and it's usually people with the most money to uh, make, you know, on the back of it. So, you know, everybody wants a, a Basquiat or a Warhol or a Picasso or a, a whatever, you know, or a Damien Hirst or, or a Tracy Emin. Everybody wants one of those things, but you can't own them because they're too expensive. So then as a working man, you get a print, but people, for some reason, people buy art expecting it to go up in value like it's got some like it's an investment and i don't know anyone i don't buy records for an investment i don't buy fishing stuff as an investment i don't buy a car as an investment but for some reason some people seem to think that it's uh, that that is so they make these markets and they're all artificial uh you know 50 percent they reckon of all art in museums is faked because and if you bought a fake painting for two million quid you're not going to hold your hands up and say it's a fake you're going to get somebody to give it to to give it a certificate saying it's real you're not going to say i've my pants down and someone's had two million quid off me so nobody admits when they've made an error because then the painting's worthless and your money's gone so it's a complete fabrication of uh, of what a market is, you know. Uh, look at Banksy, you know. I hate his art, right? It is what two-dimensional. 20 years ago, it, it, it was good social comment. But now, you know, the, the print-making aspect of it, he must be an absolute multi-multi-multi-millionaire because... The prints of all his, his, his stencil work have become uh, absolute, and they're the easiest thing to fake in the world. You know, so it's, it's, but it's crazy, but how somehow now he's meant to be the pinnacle of British art. It's just fucking nonsense, you know, and I'm not saying he's a bad artist. He's obviously a very clever, he's a genius, whoever he is, but it doesn't mean you've got to have one, you know, <laughs> they're just, have something new, have something fresh that you get to be the sole owner of it. You know, have an original. You know, he's a man of the people and you can't own an original. Do you know what I mean? It, so it's a, it's a completely fabricated market. It's all smoke and mirrors and it's all usually privileged people playing a privileged game for a privileged few. You know, and uh, they can fuck themselves. I don't want to be in it. I've, you know, I, we, we keep on keeping on don't we? You know, you know, you've met an ind a brilliant independent magazine, you've yeah. broke away and no one's asking me to write the next book, but I will anyway, you know, that, and that's real punk. And that's what all these people will never have. You can hang a war all on your wall. It don't mean you're cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're really good points, mate. And I'm with you on that. And, you know, we'll keep rocking. Um, I wanted to, as we're on the art, move on to the book now on the cover. And so your artwork features on the cover of your book, Anarchy Pie. Um, kind of nice that we just talked reference punk as well. So kind of like it from that point of view. But could you give listeners, and I'm sure many who are listening to this know exactly who you are um, from your books, from being on the podcast previously and I still had somebody the other day message me and said I just listened to the podcast you did with Boo absolutely fantastic so I know he will be thrilled to hear that you're back on 
But if anyone has not read any of your work, or could you just give us an outline of what Anarchy Pie is about? Just a, a rough outline. Well, it's based over uh, the two years post-COVID, and it's uh, my unexceptional fishing activity on an unexceptional river uh, in a northwest town, mainly, and a trip to Scotland. But it's mainly about the small worlds that we inhabit and how, if you were to believe the internet, you're just going to walk around a really angry unfulfilled person because to 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 the the best words i can think of are, are untrust thompson and fear and loathing if you spend more than 20 minutes on twitter or on facebook or on anywhere or you read the clickbait that you that your browser puts in front of you for the stories that are meant to be relevant that day you would just be a really angry upset person with anxiety so i kind of on the front cover of the book it says unsubscribe and that's what i mean unsubscribe from that culture because in my own little world of family and friends and work and fishing my world's not chaos full of anxiety and fear and dread it's a really nice place where every, where everybody has a vested interest in your, your normal day going in a normal way you know uh, that's not reflected by what we're fed on the internet all the time so the book is about breaking out of that cycle getting yourself to the river and removing static like that from your life and having a laugh seeing uh, the funny side of situations uh, having a glorious chance to do something exceptional and catch something wild uh, and then uh, return it back to its environment. The journey of escaping from the daily grind, um, that's kind of an element of the book, but the other elements of the book are just the case of being able to, uh, as I say, inhabit your own world with your own set of friends and finding interests in the mundane things, you know, I see entertainment all over the thing, every time, all over the place. Every time I go on the river, there's always something interesting happens or there's always something that has a comic aspect to it. Um, you know, I think the other day, on Instagram, you don't see so many flies stuck in trees, do you? And yet it's a, it's a daily occurrence for us, you know. It's always the perfect cast that we put but, so the book is like 12 chapters of uh, the, the, the greatest hits of the last two years of me on the river, really. Uh, and those things that uh, I think warrant uh, telling. And also there's a, bit, a little bit of folklore in there. As I get older, I'm drifting more and more towards uh, paganism and, <laughs> and folklore and uh, rituals and, uh, you know, we, and the history of where I live is like really, really rich. And uh, and like we were saying about changing for tips and changing flies, if I can, if I can invoke some kind of magic, <laughs> I'll try it. I'll try that as well, you know. So there's a little bit of that in, in the book as well. And uh, there's also, um, we've been set a quest 
from the grave by uh, Ahab, who passed away in Hooked on Hope, the, the second book. Uh, he's messaged us from the grave and told us where he's buried uh, his book, 50 Miles of Lies. So Lamont and I have to try and track this book down because that will be the answer to why we can't catch as many salmon as everyone else. Uh, obviously, it's not our fault. What we need is a magic book, which is buried along the banks of the River Ribble. So that's in there too. Uh, I've even let Lamont write a chapter this this uh, year and he's gone back to Dardarism and uh, Cut and Paste and uh, uh, William S. Burroughs and, uh, you know, has been inspired by David Bowie. So, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's all sorts in it. What it isn't is a practical guide on how to improve your fishing skills. I can 100% tell you that no one will become a better angler by reading any of my books, but you may well be entertained and you might see a reflection of yourself in there. So that's pretty much uh, what's in them. But, there's, but most books are... Look how big, how many, and uh, how and where did you catch them? You know, my books aren't like that. My books reflect a real year on the river, uh, fishing for trout and fishing for salmon, uh, and everything in between. Life's bleary edges. Yeah, and that's what I love about it. It's real. It's friendship. It's family. The importance of that as well, packaged beautifully in a humorous. Um, star while listening to this you're going to get a a sense of that as well and it was fascinating what you said um about the social media and you're dead right that you know you would assume every day was perfect every day we caught a fish every cast was perfect and everything went to plan and we sort of kind of live in a a matrix in some respects that we assume that and other people assume that's exactly what it's like and of course it it isn't. And I know you describe social media or um, Twitter really as like bobbing for apples in a tank of insatiable, starving, speed freak piranhas with spam on your face. And that's kind of kind of right as well, isn't it? That these things, how you look at this and how certain aspects of social media are a, a, a distortion of what really is true, isn't it? Well, and isn't it amazing that how many people quote twitter for the news or even as like journalism you know before the gary lineker thing every episode of uh, every like interview on five live or any other bbc network the presenters always mention their twitter accounts like because they want more followers right or they'll say did you see uh, the game against Sunderland last week? And uh, such a body on, on Twitter said that... So they're reporting some, that some fucking idiot has just said on Twitter in his bedroom as, like, journalism. And they're all dining out on it. And then... So it's, it's absolutely mental. that You know, no one can be bothered to do anything that's not instantly given to them on the phone on a, you know, that has become journalism, reporting what's on Twitter. And I just find it soul-destroying, soul-destroying. Yeah, no, that's a, a fair point. Lazy journalism and everything else that goes with it. And talking of Gary Lineker, um, 
as a football fan, I loved how you described the contents of your fly box. And you kind of draw analogies with a football team and Pep Guardiola and the Man City team. And, you know, you have the star team in your fly box, the flies. And we've alluded to this already about the flies that you always use um, and the um, ones that will always go on the end of your leader. And it's kind of right, isn't it? It's a beautiful observation about fly patterns and we do and you you said earlier you know we use four or something ridiculous like that which is exactly right but it's a beautiful analogy to draw and I'm sure many listeners that's going to resonate with them as well but using a football team was an interesting one to draw did that dawn on you pretty quickly or you suddenly thought about it that way that yeah yeah it's a football squad yeah we all want uh we all want Ireland uh, up front, don't we? You know, we want we want goals. We want Thierry Henry. You know, you want uh, Alan Shearer. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna go for some Vinnie Jones in the back of the box. You know, or some uh, some over the hill number that's come out of retirement. You know, you don't want Diego Maradona at 35. You want him at 25, don't you? You know, you want Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. So that's what I think. So. And everyone else the favourite, you know, like I said, my Alan Shearer is a, a really horrible stoke's tail that looks like it's been digested by an escalator and freed from Charlie Manson's basement. But it's it's my Alan Shearer. So when all when I've tried all the new transfers that I've bought in the last transfer window, you know, that are, are so far untested, they get about five casts before I'm convinced myself that I need to get Alan Shearer on. You know, I need to, you know, and that's that's the way I always think about it. You always go back to the one that's done the business before, you know, and, uh, uh, but we always, we're always looking for low-hanging fruit, aren't we? We want the super fly that's going to catch them all. I mean, I've took flies off on a trout reservoir because I've been catching too many and it, then it's, oh, it's too easy. It's too easy, so I'm going to use this. I'm going to use some obscure uh, number that I've never caught on just to see if it really is anything to do with pattern or if it's just I'm in a massive shoal of fish that are on a feeding frenzy. So, so we, we're never really happy. Even when we're catching fish, we want to experiment to see if it is the fly or is it us. We want, to, we want it to be us and skill, don't we? When really it's Alan Shearer, <laughs> <laughs> and that's fascinating what you say about the trout thing because I know I had Paul Gaskell on, and you know he looks at things very analytically, and he said, you know, if you're catching fish, the way change your fly and see if it is that, or you know, is it depth, is it whatever it may be, and that's really interesting that you do that. I'm kind of similar, that I don't want to catch too many fish anyway, and so, you know, I'll hang around and think about, right, let's change this up. That's worked pretty well. So, yeah, I, I like where you're coming from, from that point of view, and you talked about fishing clubs. You can never be a, a member of enough fishing clubs, right? Oh, uh, after lockdown, I had a fucking problem with it. You know, I should have gone to Fishing Club Anonymous after lockdown. I, I, I mean, I've become, I remember Ribchester Anglers, <laughs> Prince Albert 
And if you've ever seen the 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 members the, the waters guide for Prince Albert, it's like a phone book. You could it'd take you you could fish it. You would not enough years in your life to fish it all, right? So I've got Ribchester anglers, Prince Albert, Ribblesdale anglers, Clitheroe, Wigan anglers, and then I joined Carlisle anglers, right? Not enough. I mean, not enough hours in a day to get to even pick where you're going to fish. So, yeah, because of that, going right, I want I, I want some options. So you give yourself as many options, and it just all comes down to price. Uh, since then, I've whittled it down to three. So I mean, Prince Albert, I'll never leave that. It's like the best hundred and twenty quid you'll ever spend in your life. Um, and I mean, uh, Ribblesdale anglers. And I'm in Clitheroe Anglers, which on the last podcast, I was dreaming of joining. And now I'm a member and it's brilliant. <laughs> you, you talk about leaving some of the clubs as well. And I left one that I didn't get rounds fishing. There was a reason it wasn't I didn't like the water. I just didn't get to fish there. But I was too polite to leave after the first year. And I thought two years was enough to say sorry look i've not had a chance i find that i'm so <laughs> i'm so polite that i can't help myself that i i thought it was rude to leave after a year do you have any issues with that or do you just think oh well the hell i've got to leave this one or um do you do you go through that thought process as well no absolutely yeah absolutely i i left uh ribchester anglers after 18 years of consecutive membership and uh I just had fished it all to death. It, amazing water, brilliant water. Every year I keep thinking of joining, rejoining. And, uh, you know, I wrote them a long, heartfelt, like, resignation letter. And I, having, having, I've been the secretary of Ribblesdale Anglers, so usually people don't get in touch. They just don't pay again. There's no nothing. You know, they don't let you know. It was like I'd written an, a, a, a resignation letter to a firm. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. This is the reasons that I'm leaving. And they're like, okay, we're really sorry about, sorry to hear you going. And, you know, anytime you want to come back. But yeah, I'd rather leave on good terms than, because I know what goes into being a committee member on a, in a club means. So uh, one of the only things I learned, learned from the school I went to was in our engineering department, the teacher had above the door, courtesy costs nothing. And he used to point to it every lesson. And it's the only thing that I learned, I came out of that school learning. And uh, I still remember it to this day. So yeah, you're right. Courtesy costs nothing, Pete. You do right. I mean, maybe you left it a year too late, but you know, you know, let these people know they all work hard on your behalf. So it's just two minutes of a job in it just to let them know. But no, I don't leave at a fishing club easily. No, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I wouldn't know what to do without them. I wouldn't know what I'd do without being in the clubs I'm in. Um, just because you get access to so much countryside that not a lot of people even knows there. Nice. I like that a lot. Um, there's another one that I'm a member of that I haven't fished a little bit, and it's a hard one to get into. And 
Um, I'm probably going to have to leave that one and I'll start composing a resignation letter as well. But um, in some respects, I'm probably a dream member that I pay my subs and don't fish the water. So it may be kind of nice from that point of view as well. But I'd rather give someone else the chance to go fish it. And it'll be that time that someone else I know is a member. I go and fish it and think, what the hell did I pack that one up for? But you live and learn with those things. And perhaps you have to just um, suck it up and join the queue again. Yeah, well, we went to the uh, Clitheroe Anglers AGM on Wednesday night. Uh, always interesting. There were about 12 of us there. So they went through the membership. Now, we've got 30 name pools. We own the fishing. And they said, and uh, we're, we're very sorry, but the membership has risen, has risen to 44. There's 44 members, right? And I've only ever seen three other people ever, ever, ever. And uh, they said, and we're very happy to announce that we caught over 3,000 trout last year on the River Ribble in our club. Yes. Now, that's between 40 people, right? And four of them of the 44, you know where they live? California. <laughs> that's that's a long cast. <laughs> so us Clitheroe lads are going... Yeah, well, they're dream members <laughs> for us. <laughs> nice. You know, that's when we were on the when I was on the committee, Ribblesdale Anglers, and every year we had a, a fresh intake of new members. The first question three of us used to ask was, "How far away do they live?" And anybody living in <laughs> London got in. Anybody living in Blackburn or within ten miles, we have to put them to back at queue because they're going to be in our pools. <laughs> so yeah we like the distant member best <laughs> yeah love it and it's interesting you touched on trout there because i think listeners would primarily feel that you may well be a salmon angler although in the first book you know you talk about or i can't remember if it's the first one or the second one you talk about how you started as a stillwater trout angler and then somebody walked into the pub with a great big salmon and and that was it and again there's trout feature um in this book as well and some pretty nice trout by the sound of it too yeah we've got some amazing trout water so i getting back to what we were talking about before sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees and you're waiting for the perfect day to go salmon fishing realize uh, and and thinking, right, well, and you can go weeks without having a perfect day salmon fishing, and you're completely overlooking the river. is full of trout, so there's loads of sport to be had. There's loads of fun to be had, and you've got access to it. And I kind of kept forgetting to go because I was so obsessed with salmon fishing. Well, now I've started having a little walk at night, and I'll just have two hours I can be on the river in two minutes. And I'll be honest, I prefer to fish streamers across nice and quick in a few of the pools that are a bit deeper because they've generally got bigger trout in them. Uh, and I can fish back to, I can have two hours and I can quite easily catch three or four brown trout all of a pound and upwards. So I'm, I'm getting into that and I'm improving my skills doing that and I'm finding more about it. Um, but I've got so much water right on my doorstep that I'd be a fool not to engage in it a bit more. So I am becoming a, a more accomplished 
river trout angler, uh, and I'm enjoying it immensely. And it's and it's because it all leads into, you know, eventually that'll turn into sea trout fishing in June. So if if the river's not right for salmon fishing in April and May, it means I can get there and fish for some trout, and I've got access to the river Hodder, the river Ribble, the river Calder, all in a five-minute drive of my house, and the fuller trout. All those rivers are full of really nice trout, and they're really different. Uh, approaches needed to fish them they're all pretty technical there's none of them give it give it away so i really enjoy all that and of the evening i'd much rather go for a walk with a fly rod than uh as i'm doing now like uh attempting couch to 5k for the fifth fucking time <laughs> good luck with that yeah so it's my kind of trout fishing's my jogging <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> love it, love it. You, we're going to come back to salmon a little bit, and the reason for that is that you talked about Carlisle anglers, and I'm guessing that was probably the Eden. And in the book, you talk about a day that you turn up on the Eden, and not everything goes to plan, does it? Putting it mildly, your your dream of getting to a river and seeing salmon. Head and tail, because you never see them, do you, Pete? You never see them. We got there, me and my friend Peter got there. I've heard whispers that it were back to some kind of good form. And eventually, I won't, no spoiler alert, I won't blow the, the, the piece in the book. Uh, I get Peter to take me up there on the, the, I think it was like the 17th of June, I think. Or the, anyway, we get there, and as we're setting up, we, sit, we hear splash. Splash, splash. And I am not kidding. There must have been 15 to 20 fresh salmon all over. This area This area is like the size of a football pitch where these fish are. And all over, above us, below us, in front of us, at the side, in the middle, at the far bank. They're everywhere. Brand fire new. Unbelievable. So we set up and we were shrimping. Uh, so... Uh, Peter has a cast, his float gets buried, I land a absolutely bramfire chrome, sea liced, 17 pound fresh run salmon. Amazing. I miss one, my float gets buried, I miss one, Peter has another, and they're jumping over my line, they're jumping by my legs, they're jumping down the bank, they're all over the place. Then my phone rings, so we're 100 miles from home, and uh, my phone rings, and I have to find out that my son has had an accident on a bouncy castle that was brought in by the school, and the event was called the De-Stressful, right? I'm not making it up, and he dislocated his kneecap, so I had to go <laughs> home. So I had to tell Peter, it, we'd started at 10 past nine, at 20 past nine, we were walking back up the field, having caught a 17-pounder to drive back to Black, to Black, drive back to Clitheroe to get me some. And I had to, I mean, if you'd have heard the phone call, I wish I'd have recorded it because I tried to stay out as long as I can. I said, well, does it really require two of us to be there, love? And, you know, you know, uh, picture no sound, as Lamont calls it, when you just get the silent treatment off your missus. And I received pitching or sound and she just went, you need to come now. 
And then I tried to say, well, I'm not a doctor. What can I do? You know, but I, I, anyway, long story short, I came home. Uh, but I have never, even on the spay, I have never seen a run of fish like that in 28 years of salmon fishing. Ever, ever. Uh, and, uh, you know, thankfully, Peter is still talking to me. <laughs> Because I made him come home as well. <laughs> but you, you couldn't make it up. You could not make it up. Yeah, Has he forgiven you? He's forgiven me. He mentions it now and again. And he always asks how, uh, how Francis is. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on, I know food, drink and good company is essential for you. But I'd love to know what a lion's arsehole is. Right. Do you, have, you, have you got sausage rolls in... Devon. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. So if you turn one on its end, and you see the pastry, yeah, <laughs> and then you see the sausage filling, what's <laughs> it look like? <laughs> A lion's asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, that, so it's the end of a sausage roll where you can see the filling. That's a lion's arsehole. <laughs> and is that what you named it? Did you decide that? No, someone far wiser than me. I overheard it in a in a pie shop. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And I will never look at a sausage roll in quite, quite the same way. It was like um, when Lamont had joined a gym. And uh, he joined a gym. And I said, how's it going? He said, it's all right, but it's a bit cock-heavy, which meant it's, there's too many men in it. <laughs> it's cock-heavy. So now every time I scan a room, you know, or a pub, I'm saying to myself, it's all right, but it's a bit cock-heavy in here. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Absolutely love it. Now, you're, I think you're really self-deprecating about your fishing. And there is a, um, a bit in there where you talk about um, a pool and how you make a change and catch a fish. And you talk also about salmon fishing being a roll of the dice. But sometimes when you make those changes and the line comes to life, there is a little bit more than that roll of the dice, isn't it? Yeah, but when you're salmon fishing, you've got to remember that like 90, 98% of the time, there's no salmon in the pool you're actually fishing in. So you could go in there in a top hat and stilts and, you know, it don't make a blind bit of difference, you know. So, so <laughs> it, it's, it's for them rare days when you see a fish, that's when all the fumbling starts and you want to be on your Alan Shearer, you know, you, you, so, and then you're thinking, right, so for this very rare moment, I want to be right. I want to give myself a fighting chance. So my fighting chance is a full floater with a slow sink tip on or an, an, an intermediate tip and uh, a, a, my stoke's tail on the dropper and then like a cascade on point or I'm getting sick of even saying it, uh, uh, a badly tied willy gum, you know, a really sparse willy gum. 
that looks like it's been eaten by some, uh, you know, and, and and but but you've got to remember that most of the time it's purely hypothetical because there isn't any fish there anyway. So you can do what you want, but when that moment comes and either someone has a pull or someone has a fish, it's suddenly game on and it's serious time, isn't it? So you get serious then. So you, but yeah, you hope that you've got some kind of input, don't you? <laughs> I like to have some input. I, if I've had a pull in a pool, you know, and I've missed and I've felt the, the, the line go and I know there's a fish there and you back up, you back up the pool to go through the cast again. I'm so excited that I always fuck that cast up. So now I have to tell myself, slow down and, you know, just be a bit more fucking Bruce Lee than Michael Crawford in Some Mothers Do Have Them. You know, just fucking slow down and have another pop at it. You know, so, but because you're that excited, because it never happens. Yeah, I, I know I hooked, the nearest I got last year was hooking a fish, and I don't know who was more surprised, and it leapt around, came off for a bit, and um, that was that, and shrugged my shoulders, reeled in and got out, because it was bright, so, you know, I just so wasn't expecting it, and yeah, it was one of those yeah. moments where you thought, actually, I've done okay here, I put a tiny fly on because the water was low, clear, the sun was about to come onto the pool, so I did my part of the deal, I got relatively close, and and that was that was that. But tell me, coming back to the book before we start, I think we're coming up a an hour of talking now. But did you find it, given the background of COVID and everything else that went with it for you, did that mean it was an easy book to write, or was it a difficult book to write? Well, and at the start, I wanted to write something else, but all the time, I got a few leads. I got into the book and I wrote a few things and then I realized that I did have a few good ideas for this book. And it were really the beginning, the first half of last year was unbelievably difficult just because we weren't as a couple, as a married couple, I weren't pulling my weight, you know, financially. So it was really hard. So you've got to do summer. I mean, I did everything. I've started doing removals. I started doing things. I advertised for it and everything. So in between on them days when I've got no work on, I can't just sit about doing nothing. Uh, I, you know, I filled in my CV and I'm actively looking for a, a nice little part-time job. If I can find a couple of days a week doing something, I will, um, just to help ease the pain of the, the crunch that we're in. So when I've not got anything to do, it's remiss of me if I'm not writing something, because at least it's something I can do that's proactive. So over the first six months of last year, I started getting it together. And then when I got a few ideas like the trip to the Eden and uh, uh, we got contacted to look for Ahab's book and uh, a few other things, it all started coming together uh, really nicely. And uh, I, I enjoyed writing it immensely. Uh, but all the, all the time I'm writing them, I'm thinking, is there any appetite for, for this? You know, I've done one, I've done two. Is there another appetite for it? Or should I be focusing on something else? But now I've got to the finish line. I'm really glad I did persevere with it because I think it's got some merit. And I think that a lot of people, I think the people who like my writing anyway, are going to be hopefully thrilled with it. Uh, 
and that that keeps you going. Uh, so it, it it was it's always a good thing to write, but sometimes the stories have to be told, and these twelve stories that are in here, in their own little way, have to be the little vignettes of what they are have to be told and I think that they have some merit and that the people will find them entertaining but it wasn't an easy process the first two were very were much more easy I was in a nice more comfortable place when writing them uh, but being in a, having been up against a rock and hard place uh, I was writing out a necessity Pete uh, and I always thank you for buying a couple of articles off me early last year uh, and you won't know how much it means, but it meant a lot at the time. Uh, and I know I spoke to you on the phone a couple of times, but it meant a great deal. Uh, I'll never forget you for that because we were struggling, you know, like a lot of families are at the moment. Um, but I ain't mourning, and it was good. So, but it, I, it, so I, I was glad to be proactive, and having that little book to write kept me really focused, really positive, and uh, I hope it comes out with that vibe because really with everything that was going on and everything you read getting back to the internet and the state of politics and what have you that book should be filled with fury and angst but it isn't it's just a, it's it, I've, I, I kept it white <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah it was a good book to write and I, I enjoyed getting it together uh, a, a great deal and when I look back you know uh, I'm very proud very proud of them. Yeah, and rightly so you should be as well. Um, what would you want readers to take from reading your trilogy of books? Um, to tr Just to don't be overfaced by what the world wants you to be. Be happy in your own little world at your pace and see the, the beauty that's probably on your doorstep somewhere, you know, uh, and having a sense of mischief and a sense of entertainment and um, feeling that the glasses are full, no matter what's happening. Uh, that's all. I mean, you can't, you can't, uh, all you can do is ought to inspire people to enjoy their environment and, uh, and their pastime. So be, with my readers, probably 80% being anglers, uh, hopefully, that they can, they can see that and realise that sometimes life's about balance, isn't it? And uh, and loving what you do. You've got to love what you do and, re and enjoy it and throw yourself into it and then you'll get rewarded in the end, you know, definitely. I think that's a nice summarisation of it as well. And, um, you know, as ever with these podcasts, I never um, want to take payment. I want to for people appearing that never happens i do this because um well i've you know i've taken articles from boo and, and put them in so i'm a fan of his work but i think you should really seriously consider these books they're different and i think we need people like boo and the people i mentioned at the beginning as well in fly fishing and writing books 
that are contemporary. They're in, they have their finger on the pulse and come from a different direction as well. I think that's really important. And we're lucky that we've got these people in fishing. And I'm going to do, as I've always have done, and I will continue to do, is to champion the people who aren't afraid to step out into the left field. They're not writing to a formula. They're writing from the heart. And if you read Boo's books, they're written from the heart. And that's it's making me emotional say this right now because they are. They're really important, and they're really important for us um, uh, people who are actually in fishing that we get to read this stuff about people, about what life means to them, what fishing means to them, are written in and packaged in a contemporary style. So um, I can only shout and I will continue to shout for authors like Boo. So um, Boo, how can people buy any of your books if they want to buy them? Well, uh, if they go to terminalchancer.co.uk, you can order all three books through there uh, and then you get a, a signed copy. Um, or if for convenience, you can get them from Amazon. Uh, uh, the press release for the new book goes out next week. So hopefully a few independent bookshops will take it on as well. So it might be in your local bookshops. Uh, but they, they'll they also be getting supplied direct from me. Uh, so it, it, terminal, www.terminalchancer.co.uk is where you can find out um, every title you can buy, just one click. Uh, so they're all up for sale on there. Uh, yeah, so that that's it, really. It, or Amazon. Fantastic. And what about social media? I know we've touched on that, but I really enjoy your um, Instagram particularly. Um, how can people find you on social media? Uh, Boogle Braith on Instagram. Uh, Boogle Braith on Facebook. Uh, Boogle Braith on Twitter, uh, but not so much. Because it's fucking horrible. <laughs> For obvious reasons. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, everyone, um, I think you've got a sense. And um, go back and listen to the other one as well. This isn't, you know, marketing being nice. This is how Boo is. And this is the sort of person he is. And um, that's what comes across in his book. So I really hope you will consider um, supporting someone independent and doing some really cool interesting stuff there's a background of music in there and it's got harry j all stars liquidator so i'm perfectly happy there's another song i can't quite remember what it is and he has suggested listening with the book which is a fantastic playlist as well but boo as ever it's been wonderful to catch up with you um i wish you every success with the book the book deserves to be successful and want to thank you for being a guest on the fly coach podcast today cheers pete thank you very very much for having me on again and uh, and listening to an old man waffle on <laughs> so yeah no thanks very much and uh uh keep on keeping on pete i love you brother
I'm feeling the love and it's right back at you. Um, Everybody, thank you for listening to the Fly Culture podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this entertaining and amusing look inside Booze Fishing Brain um, and what goes into writing a book. As ever, um, there'll be plenty more down the line, but thank you so much for listening. The Fly Culture podcast is brought to you in association with Fly Culture, a quarterly print magazine. For more information, please visit flyculturemag.com. You can also find Fly Culture on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.